Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Press Row. Jonah Siegel here in a brisk, sunny Seattle. Went to bed last night. It was a whopping 29 degrees. We don't usually get that cold here. The, the heat was actually cranking on a Saturday night after watching Saturday Night Live. Um, very pleased to be having a uh, someone who whose career I have followed for a long time. Uh, someone who I believe should have a more prominent role in the Toronto sports media world and certainly in the National Hockey League. Uh, Toronto's very own Nick Kiprios. Nick, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Doing well. You and your family keeping well in this wonderful wild world of Corona? Yeah, and generally it was always we knew going to be a challenging year uh, from leaving Sportsnet. And we started a few projects. And then, like everybody else, we have this pandemic that uh in many ways stopped us uh straighten our tracks and then you've got to find ways to pivot and overcome it and find new roads to get to the same destination so there are a lot of parallels with my book jonas that's for sure so interesting story i've been doing this now for 14 15 years and uh I've met lots of interesting people along the journey. And I'm not sure if you, re if you remember this, you're smirking, so maybe you do, but there I was at the, uh, the hockey facility off of Dufferin and uh, I think it's Dufferin and like Keel or something, what, somewhere up north, one of those, I think the place is gone now, but cool spot where I used to, I used to take my kid cause you could go upstairs and put them on this thing called the skating treadmill. It wasn't rinks, not ring. I can't remember the name of the place, but I'm sitting up there and I'm waiting for my kid to get off the treadmill and I get a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and the voice says to me, are you at YYZ Sports Media? And I was like, yeah, I've never been asked that question before. And I turn around and there was Nick Kiprios. And uh, yeah, I think that was like, 10, almost 10, 10 plus years ago that we first met in the, uh, the friendly confines or whatever that facility was called. And uh, listen, like I've, I've been a fan of your work on the fan on Sportsnet uh, for a long time. So it's a real privilege to have you on to talk about all the things uh, in your life that, have, that are going on, but especially I'd love to focus on the book um, that I read earlier last week while I got to travel for the first time. Well, thanks for the kind words. First and foremost, I do believe that you're talking about the skating lab, which was just around the corner from Chesswood Arena, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit of a wind world uh, experience right now going through a lot of things, uh, but I, I'm awfully proud of my history enough to at least put it into a book. And, you know, we, we all... You know, it took me a while to become part of that mainstream media uh, in Toronto and then in Canada. But there was also people like you that were starting to develop uh, a voice and a platform uh, that was less traditional than, than radio and TV. And it was fun. I think it was fun for all of us finding a, a, 
a small slice of the pie, if you will. Yeah. So it's not, it wasn't the skating lab. It was up Dufferin. There was a, Oh, it was. Okay. It was up Dufferin. And, uh, you may had to have North on Dufferin and you made a left on, I think it was Keel and it was tucked in there on the left. Beautiful facility. They had like two sheets plus one half sheet. And then they had upstairs this, this skating treadmill. And, uh, it was also like a birthday party place. Uh, anyways, it doesn't really matter. That, that's where we met. Um, <laughs> there, there, there was a few in Toronto we were, we were hunting down, that's for sure. So I'll tell you what's really interesting to me. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit off the air, like what, what, what you like in a, in a book. And I'll tell you what I found fascinating. And it just not reassuring is not the right word, but it, it re-emphasized that you're a good person. And that, that absolutely, first of all, you can tell a good story. And second of all, you know, uh, my grandfather always taught us to remember who you are and where you came from. And it's absolutely clear that those things have been instilled in you. And while there's some awesome hockey stories, and we'll get into them, uh, the stories of your upbringing and your parents and how hard they had to work and how dedicated to you they were, not so much the process or the end result. Those are the things that really stuck with me. Uh, and I, there I was sitting on the plane, flying from Seattle to Atlanta, laughing out loud, literally at some of the stories, but the stuff that really was the most impressive and most impactful to me were those stories of, of being a kid in the GTA with parents re working really hard. Um, you being blown away by, by making it to a team that actually would give you skates because the, the used ones you'd been wearing had been hacked up. Like those are the things that were really, really impactful. And I think those are the things that make the book uh, unique and special. Yeah, and, and there was a, a certain class that was able to you know, hold on to, to being a part of that. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that that's not the case anymore, but it's a lot more challenging when skates are now a thousand dollars or twelve hundred and it does take a certain bank account uh to get a, a an average kid to to play competitive sports today so i i was grateful that you know my family who had to work really really hard just to kind of maintain us uh, you know there were no cottages growing up there was uh there were no second homes there wasn't a a, a trip yearly that uh, took us to great places, you know, either in Canada or, or the United States. It, I mean, I just didn't grow up that way. So getting a new pair was a big deal, even for me in major junior a hockey. So, so I was all in a lot of kids. The important thing is that you recognize it, that you cannot get there by yourself. And I just, I just felt that from my earliest memories and, and wanted to make sure that that was in the book. When we get into a dressing room, although it seems like the beginning of a journey to try to win hockey games, in many ways, there's so many um, ways to look at that dressing room in terms of the people inside of it. And by, by the start of, of a training camp or the start of a hockey game, a lot of the the character inside of you would have been instilled a long time ago. So 
that's 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 what's really important that i i make sure i acknowledge the morals the values the discipline and the sacrifices to even get into an nhl dressing room and of course that's why families on the cover of the book as much as my name is so you know you hear about kids who kind of always knew they were going to make it so to speak it seems to me in reading the book that that wasn't you, that uh, you really liked the game, but it wasn't like, oh my God, if I do X, Y, and Z, I can make it to the NHL. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. And that, that equation really started to come in probably uh, after I left the Philadelphia Flyer training camp at 18 and they offered me a contract. Up until then, it was more of a feel of a fantasy cat, a camp than a than a a camp to to try to make the team. So it, it took a while, a little bit of convincing, much like maybe Perry Lefko trying to convince me that I got a book that should be published. <laughs> I mean, I just sometimes you just don't look at yourself the same way that others look at you. So it did take me a while, you know, is ignorance bliss in some, okay, uh, you know, in, in some ways. Yes. Um, I joke in the book that my dad often said, if I really knew you had a chance to play in the NHL, I would have pushed you a lot harder, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, and sometimes I look at him and said, maybe if you did, you know, you would have turned me right off because that happens as we know, uh, in, in a lot of instances when the parents just want it more than the kid. And that's a recipe for disaster when you're raising a child, uh, especially the ones who want to live vicariously through their, their, their children. We know that doesn't work. We know it's never worked in the past and it will never work in the future. So it was a, a natural progression for me to really understand that I had something, but you get what it's going to take to push it and really do it. So, yeah, it's funny. I um, certainly know the later stages of your career were relatively within the same age group. So we kind of grew up in the same era-ish. You're a little bit older than me, not much. Um, how different was the game covering it than it was playing it. I mean, it seems to me that when you look at what's happening today, which is, I hate to say it, Nick, but far removed from when you played, um, it seems like things have dramatically changed. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. A hundred percent. It's changed in so many ways. Uh, we're very protective of our environment, of our space. When I when I played in, in my era where you just didn't get access. I, I mean, the Leaf dressing room, I visited it a thousand times, or not a thousand times, that's a big exaggeration, but enough between the age and, and, and 719, I even got a chance to play in Maple Leaf Gardens for the first time as a, as a North Bay Centennial, but that dressing room was sacred, man. It was like, I remember thinking the Toronto Maple Leaf dressing room was like 
the bat cave, you know, only a few people got to go in and experience it. And there's just a certain protection. Now, today, when you watch the game being covered, man, they got cameras everywhere. And it's like, it's, it's almost the media or the television or even people at home watching saying, now, uh, I'm entitled to now follow you everywhere. I've got access you know, to cameras in your dressing room. I've got your Instagram. And of course, you know, Twitter. And I just have this all access into your life. And of course, you know, you, you have to respond a certain way. Like PK Subban takes his fans everywhere. Yep. On a boat, you know, camping um, in his house, in his gym. So obviously you got this attitude that I I'm going to get everybody everywhere I go, but just was non-existent in my day. So I think the expectations now of the consumers are, I get to know everything about you. And that it's been an interesting transition for me to watch from zero uh, access to all access in probably a good, you know, seven, eight, 10 years of that whole transition. Kind of, blows my mind away as it was from zero to to you know miles an hour is beers with them and battling on the ice with them and knowing their families to actually going on air and critiquing them and how do you do it do you do it as a friend do you do it as an um you know uh a neutral kind of way or you know do you tell it the way you really feel about it. So that was a that was a challenge for me early in the book. I talk about uh, uh, a time in my life when I'm covering the Leaf hockey game, and Ty Domi calls me uh, during the game, you know, in between periods, of course. But he's one mission, uh, like everybody else, and he just reams me for for being too hard on Wade Belak and taking a couple of bad penalties, and you know the that's just stuff that, you know, you, you never can prepare for. You're, you're not told to expect it. And then you just have to deal with it uh, at that moment, the best way that you can. So you get drafted in the OHL. Surprisingly, you didn't go to the draft. You, you go to camp. It doesn't go so well. You get sent down, then you get called up. And then you get traded and you tell this awesome story of driving out to North Bay uh, with Robbie Nichols. And uh, when you get there, the veterans of the team, it's so funny calling them veterans when they're like 18 to 21, but the veterans of the team come looking for you for initiation. And, and, and Robbie tells them to leave you alone that you had it with your previous team. Unbelievable story, but I want to pivot that into that whole practice uh, because it's really come front and center these days with a spotlight being shined on hockey culture. And in the last six, seven months, lots of things have come out about hockey, about sports and culture, Mike Babcock being fired, the whole Mitch Marner thing. And the one constant that I've seen in talking to lots of people 
is that the culture in hockey as it relates to this kind of stuff seems to be far worse than in other sports. Any idea why you think that is? I, I don't know. I can't speak of it uh, from a football perspective in the United States or baseball. Just know that from first experiencing it, uh, you know, even in my midget year a little bit, but then full force in junior, that there was just this really difficult, um, a, a difficult uh, situation for any new player to feel accepted. And there's this kind of passage, but it's not really a passage. It's just an, it's almost like an insecurity. And it kind of gives you an early life lesson that people are not gonna um, readily accept you until you've kind of proven yourself or you have the ability to, you know, hang in there or just not be intimidated. And that's all that initiation is, is a bunch of insecure people that somehow still look at you as a threat. And that threat, of course, is you're gonna come in younger, better, shinier is always you know, more appealing than old and you know, dated. So the veterans were all insecure. Most of with job security. So this was to how thick his skin is. And, you know, there's some guys that it did psychological damage that, you know, in many ways, as we start hearing today, they never really recover from. And I think that's the whole idea. Maybe I can torment this kid to, to the point where he quits and he won't take my ice time away. And it's just, it was just a culture that was passed on from year to year to generation to generation. And now that we're starting to really hear the stories come through about perhaps a few guys that, uh, that suffered more than others, you know, rightfully so, it's been shut down. It's been shut down for the last little while. Unfortunately, we still hear stories of, of guys that uh, in many ways to where I don't think and get through it. I was fortunate enough to have a, a veteran in Rob Nichols who stepped up and for whatever reason, he felt compelled that day to say, leave Nick Kiprios alone. I looked after him in Kitchener, he got, he got, he got what he, what he got and uh, he shouldn't have to do it twice. I'll be forever grateful for him. So things seem to have evolved away from physical and mental hazing to expensive team dinners. What's your take on those? At the time, you know, half a million dollars in Rod Langway at my time in Washington or Scott Stevens. And, you know, here I am. I've gone from making uh, $1,200 every two weeks to 
you know, four and a half thousand dollars every two weeks, which is great because I was only making like twenty five thousand dollars in the miners, but a hundred thousand. So I was making my still a check for you know three thousand uh, dollars to buy guys who I'll never make as much money as they did dinner, but at least. At least it's it's not traumatizing somebody in a in a in a uh, you know ice you know naked in a public uh, skate you know those type of things happen to other players. I, I was okay, I think, with with stroking a check for dinner at the end of the day. It brought the team together, and you knew it was one and done, and. Uh, it was over with and anything that can get veterans to accept you as a young kid, you were, you were always, you know, hopeful that that was the case. So one of the things that's interesting to me is, and, and you mention it is kind of the, the, the fighting culture and, and you, we've read, we've learned about it a lot more recently. Uh, unfortunately with some untimely deaths, it just how, how much that psyche messes with people's mind. And I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think common fan knew or is aware or was aware how staged is the wrong word, but tough guy going from arena a to arena B in the national hockey league knew they were going to have to fight the other tough guy the next night. And we've heard about guys having to get psyched up, take pill, what have you, right? Like, it doesn't seem, unless I'm reading it wrong, that that psyche affected you. Is, is that accurate? Well, I think it, how could it not affect you? You're in it. Uh, you're right in the thick of things for sure. I didn't try to overthink it, to be honest with you. They just, they put, um, look back on it or they looked ahead towards it and that's a constant for me at times you know I was just trying to get that that mentality that it's done and over with and now you can kind of uh, relax a little bit and I say sometimes maybe that was a blessing or maybe it was my demise because I did end getting the thing that every fighter in hockey, you know, wants to avoid. And that is, you know, getting hurt physically and getting hurt uh, mentally, emotionally, and then hurting your career. So my last fight that ended my career was just the ultimate, you know, nightmare for anybody that kind of plays that role. So, so you know, there's, there's the, the physical aspect, you can always get hurt. And we knew that started getting even tougher with concussions being real starting in the mid nineties to just your job. No one was the guy on that camp or the bully on the other teams. So all laid in for a lot of guys. You know, absolutely crazy trying to deal with it on a daily basis. Some dealt with it, you know, with alcohol, drugs. Um, there was the anxiety in it. 
depression. It's all real. And it was there. I just felt like maybe my upbringing laid a, a little stronger foundation for me to kind of attack it with a different mindset to understand that it's okay if you end up in the bottom of the pile because we value you know showing up or doing the best that you can higher than the end result because the end result will look after itself what's important is to kind of stick with a a certain philosophy that you're going to give your best shot and if it doesn't work out then you're going to find a, a different way to get there and i think that's the common thread in the book is that it's okay to fail but what's not okay is if you just don't get up and try again if that's if that's what you ultimately need to do to get to the place that you still want to go to all right so let's pay a few bills take a breath there nick uh, I think you and I used to live around the same part of the GTA and with the weather turning, I think it's been, you know, up and down there. Uh, there's things that need to be done around the house that are just a pain in the butt. And <laughs> for me, it was putting away the summer furniture, having to, you know, wrap it up, put it away or, or put burlap bags on the bushes or just do anything around the house that was really annoying and time consuming that I was call a spade a spade, just too lazy. And that's where my friends at Jiffy on demand come into play. I'm not sure if you've used Jiffy on demand before you see their lawn signs everywhere, but they're awesome. I am a huge believer in them. Easy for me to talk about them because I use them so often. I have begged them to come out West here to Seattle numerous times. I've had, drains unplugged i've had ants killed as i said i've had ikea furniture built and i've had furniture put away all you have to do is download the jiffy app or go to jiffyondemand.com and use the code save s-a-v-e and for listening to nick today i have 25 dollars off your first job trust me you're gonna love jiffy if you have somebody older in your life and you're worried about shoveling the walk you know putting on those storm doors whatever it is Again, download the Jiffy app, go to jiffyondemand.com and use code SAVE for $25 off your first job. You will love it. And as we are sitting here today, we are almost at kickoff time for the National Football League. And it is obviously uh, some college football started this weekend. Uh, baseball is wrapping up. And you may have heard there's an election coming up. Lots of different ways to spend your money gambling, if that's your thing. Uh, do it responsibly. Go ahead to betonline.ag. Again, that's betonline.ag today. Take advantage of a great sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So, um, where to talk to next? So, you've you've got the book. It's it's awesome. You're doing a podcast. That's great. Um, some great stories you tell um, about your media career. Um, one of them that, that really caught my eye was after your first season reading in the globe and mail that you're going to be gonged, um, making a phone call to Scott Moore to see what was going on or going in to see Scott Moore and finding out that you were going to be gonged, but you didn't get gonged. Why don't you share that story with the listeners? 
Well, like anything else in my life, it just, just doesn't come easy. So my first year was really, really tough. And it was to the point where, you know, Scott Moore just probably made the decision that it's easier to just let me go after my first year than have to deal with trying to really get me better. So I'm basically about a week after the season's over, I'm, I'm actually uh, taking my car in for service and waiting in the waiting room. And I pick up one of the, uh, the newspapers and it's the Globe and Mail. And there's a, a critic, a television critic named Bill Houston that wrote uh, an article called Truth and Rumors. And uh, uh, the very last few sentences in his article was Nick Kiprios was going to be relieved from his duties at Sportsnet. And I'm like, <laughs> I just lost my job. <laughs> <laughs> so I called Scott Moore and uh, I, I asked him, is that true that I'm, I'm no longer employed at Sportsnet? And he had me come in and talk to him. And uh, he, he said, and, uh, didn't turn up with uh, a few segments uh, starting next season and we'll see how it goes. So I, I was fine with that. And uh, to be quite honest with you, a little relieved because uh, I did struggle on live television and uh, I'm, I'm okay with uh, taping things and, and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And then years later, I catch up to Scott Moore and I still wanted answers on why the heck did I read that I got fired in the Globe and Mail. And he admitted to me that uh, he was going to let me go, but uh, hated Bill Houston who wrote the article and was absolutely uh, beside himself when the information leaked uh, before he was comfortable telling with me. So he basically kept me on uh, in spite, you know, to spite Bill Houston and to kind of show everybody that uh, he had a bad scoop. And I'm like, man, I owe that guy Christmas cards for here till eternity to uh, for saving my job in many ways. Did that surprise you that that Scott Moore would be that spiteful of a reporter? Like you've now been on both sides of things. You, you yeah. you've been involved in the on the good side of the business and the not so good side of the business. Does that surprise you? Well, first of all, Scott's not that type of guy that would just do something out of sheer, you know, um, anger or venom towards somebody else. Um I think it might have been the cherry on top, but he did, he did put his note on the army. And I talk about it in the book that a lot of people were not happy that I got that job. And a lot of people made it abundantly clear that I didn't deserve that job. I wasn't an all-star. I wasn't a hall of famer. I wasn't, I was I didn't play the lead role in the Stanley cup in New York. I was a part-time kind of fill-in guy or a role player. But Scott went with me because most often than not, those type of guys, and we started noticing more analysts in the goaltender position uh, because those guys watch, they observe, they're students of the game. And, you know, he, he invested in me. And, you know, that's the other part that maybe he just wasn't completely ready to let me go he was able to kind of parlay my second year, what should have been, Jonas, my first year. It should have been a, a slow progression up the ladder. And I just had too much too soon in my first year. 
And I'm thankful for that second year that kind of took that back to make two steps forward for me. And uh, being one of the lead analysts for this Olympics in Vancouver, along with Bob McKenzie, James Duthie, and Darren Pang. And that was, I mean, that was the ultimate A team. You know, if you, if you look historically, that was the best panel to ever be in, in the history of the game and, and will be based on the sheer number of people that watched us, you know, 27 million people, highest rated show in history. That was the ultimate hockey panel. So I'm going to call bullshit because it happens in every sport. Like there, there's two types of people who end up on television or radio. And there, we saw it again this past summer. So there's, there's the broadcaster, if you will, who earns their stripes, pays their dues and comes up, call it, you know, the right lane. And then there's the former athlete who, who doesn't. Uh, can you think of, honestly, any former athlete who, like, spends a lot of times in the broadcast minor leagues and makes it to the big show? Like, we saw it again this summer. The Hockey Night in Canada panel was, had, had people on it who had never done broadcasting before. And, and, and you know, we're, as I said, we're roughly the same age. Take a step back and, and then look at Major League Baseball. Look at the NFL. Uh, look at the NBA, you know, Charles Barkley didn't start doing minor league basketball. He's a big talking head personality. Um, you know, John Madden went from, from the sideline to the booth. Like this happens all the time. Um, so, you know, the fact that you, have yeah, a different... but, but Jonas, it, it doesn't. We lost you there for a sec. Yeah, but I, I again, the, yeah, but I, I mean, Charles Barkley was the best of the best, right? Uh, outside of winning a, an NBA championship, he did everything. He was an all star, an MVP. There's just more leeway for those people. They just get more rope um, to to go through whatever they need to to become great analysts and. I just, I didn't have that as a, as a, as a typical fourth line type of guy. So, you know, people were more critical of me and included my, my, uh, my coworkers. And I talk about, you know, even Greg Millen, Greg Millen wasn't the warmest to me when I broke into uh, broadcasting and I had to earn my stripes with him and he's old school. So much like a rookie coming in that that's unproved. I mean, Connor McDavid goes to Edmonton for the first time. He's he's getting treated much differently than anyone else because you can read the tea leaves with that guy. He's going to be great. He's going to be the captain. He's going to make all-star teams, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. That's predetermined. But guys like me, I think it's a it's a shorter shorter rope and, and less leeway. So when you're in the booth. And Ty Domi calls you and gives you shit for ripping on Wade Belak. What's your reaction to that? <laughs> calm. I'm trying to calm down. I'm trying to calm down, Ty. That's what I'm trying to do. 
it's like anything else. And I've been in scenarios too. And I've had calls from Glenn Sather, uh, Neil Smith, just want to stand like up with Neil. And he's given me shit like crazy for, you know, talking about Wayne Gretzky uh, leaving New York because of a, because he's frustrated, you know, or retiring because he's frustrated and it's not an easy thing to do, but you, you just have to manage it and, and use your, what you hope is, you know, coping mechanisms. And I told Ty, I'd be happy to discuss this with you. It's just, it can't be, I got to go back to work. You got to go back to play the third period. And, you know, let's, let's discuss this at another time, but Ty's, Ty's the type of guy that he just has to go in, defend his guys, and then he moves on. So there was never really an issue. He got his point across. I think I got mine across because I, I got a job to do. You, you know, Ty, with all due respect, you're, you're not the one signing the bottom of my paychecks to put food on the table right now. I've got a job to do. I'm trying to do it the best of my ability. But certainly, you know, respect the fact that you felt like you needed to protect your teammate because that's what you do and you've done it better than anybody came. But I got a job to do as well. So you've played with some really good hockey players and probably some pretty average ones. You know the difference between a great leader You've been in, I would imagine, really bad locker rooms. And I know you've been in some really good ones, including the one with Mark Messier in it. The Toronto Maple Leafs went through a pretty massive overhaul over the last couple of weeks where one would argue that perhaps their skill hasn't moved all that much, but certainly something has changed behind the scenes. And there's no question that the DNA of that locker room has changed dramatically. When you watch the team last year, it certainly seemed to me that they were missing that, that presence, that leadership, that give a shit, if you will. When you, look at, when you look at the team as it was constructed then versus what they've done now, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm kind of careful in terms of saying that they didn't give a shit because I, I don't think that they're just, they're capable of winning or beating a Tampa Bay or a Boston, or in this case, Columbus. They're just not built to win a seven game series. Are they built to make the playoffs? Yes. But are they built to uh, win a series when usually it takes a, takes a, a lot of different elements to win. They, they don't have that. They don't have that club in their bag to use a, a golfing term. All right. So I'm going to and stop that's why you. So hang on. I'm going to stop you. To go to plan B. So what does that mean? What club are they missing? What, when you say they're not built that way, lots of people say it. So let's define it. What yeah. club don't they have? Toughness. Mental or physical or both? Just that's it. Physical, physical. And if you want, you, you can argue mental. And I, I don't know if, 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 you know, I'm, I'm going to win that argument. I mean, it's, it's valid for you to say mental, but 
from an eye oh, I just test, want clarification. Optics, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Physical. They can't physically handle uh, the punishment of a Columbus, Boston, or Tampa Bay. They wanted to play fast and quick. And all I saw was a team that uh, could get to the wrong place faster than anyone else. And it, and it didn't work. And I was in transition now. So if it's a toughness, then Joe Thornton's a good argument for that. But physically, they still got a ways to go here to compete in the East to try to get to a position of a Final Four or Stanley Cup Final. Physically, uh, they, Wayne Simmons is not enough to show me that can now get through a, a best of seven uh, against bigger teams that are tougher. So forget the salary cap for a second. If you could drop any player or couple of players into that room to make them tougher per your description, who are we talking about? Either who you played with or today. What are they missing? Well, if, if we're going to, if we're going to go right back at it, let's just say that the Nazem Kadri trade could have been one of the worst in, in modern day history for the Leafs. Okay. He's exactly what you need. Uh, the problem is, is they weren't very good at managing him. Okay. They either, they loved him and they didn't love him. And then they got rid of him. So, you know, that, that in a nutshell, but, you know, there, there's not that many out there. When I when I look at guys that can that can really bring it and can still play in today's game, 2020, then you know you look at Tom Wilson in uh, in Washington, then even Josh Anderson. I thought picking up John Ash, uh, Josh Anderson was a brilliant move for the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm not sure if he's going to turn out to be as good as Tom Wilson, but he's there's a chance. There's an absolute chance, and uh, you know, whether or not Columbus would have traded for the Leafs or not, but that's exactly what the type of guy that you need. And uh, you just need a guy that can go out there and push back and have a little bit of attitude and sandpaper and grit. The problem is they were so scared of Kadri. They were so scared of another suspension. And what they don't, what they didn't realize is that if, if you have a team that's that's got a little bit of uh, attitude by committee then Kadri felt the need to those things that he did the last couple of years and he, he brought it upon himself to be that guy and he he just he overstepped his boundaries and it was a collective mess the Leafs management team is as much to blame for Kadri's suspension as he was himself so if things go south or sideways this year, so they either they make the playoffs and they get bounced in the first round or God help them, they don't make the playoffs in a, a predicted shortened season. One would have to think the leash or the noose around Kyle Dubas's neck would get very, very tight. 
You think the same thing should be said for Brendan Shanahan? Well, no, I don't get the sense. And, 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 and Brendan Shanahan signed a new contract, I think, as many as five or six years last season. So I, I do believe that, that Brendan's got another general manager uh, to go to before anybody starts questioning him. Kyle, on the other hand, I don't think can, I don't think that there's a plan C. Are we in agreement that they're in plan B right now? hundred percent. I don't, I don't think Kyle has, I don't think Kyle gets to plan C. So he doesn't get another coach. A few guys he doesn't get can, another coach either. He's got his coach. No, he doesn't get another coach. He doesn't, you don't get, you don't get those opportunities time and time again in, in this particular market. You know, John Cooper survived the last few years because there wasn't the scrutiny of a Toronto or Montreal market. John Cooper would have been gone a long time ago if he was a, the, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But this market, Kyle Dubas does not get a plan C, but Brendan Shanahan will get to play that down the road. Have to think that if we get to that, one of the big four would have to go. Agree? Well, it, it, I don't think it's hard if you really want to make a, a trade for Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner. There, there'll be plenty of uh, takers. I, I'm not sure anybody would be at that point interested in Tavares. And that in itself is very difficult situation, I think, in in a, in a year. If fans don't see a lot of success with a Stanley Cup final or even a Stanley Cup, um, Tavares in many ways was the contract that changed everything, absolutely everything. It was really set up for Matthews and Marner to be the, 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 the leaders up front much like Taves and Kane in Chicago. Um, but then the need to go out and get Tavares. Uh, I don't think anybody was at offense, additional offense. At that point, even before Tavares, the, the need was still the blue line. It really came out of left field, Tavares, to add to Marner and, and Matthews. That one is still kind of you know, perplexing to me why they felt the need to get Tavares uh, when it looked like it was really Matthews and Marner's team of the immediate future. All right, let's take one last shot at the, uh, the media side of things. So lots of attention over the last couple of months, especially on the radio side, the lack of a female presence, certainly in the, in the Toronto sports media where it's now a team of one. Andy Petrillo on TSN is the only female radio host in sports radio. So you, you hosted, co-hosted a show, a daily show on the fan. I think through most of your time there, Barb DeGiulio was there. I'm pretty sure. I think. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Yes. Barb saw, saw, no, saw Barb a lot in, in the studio. Uh, um, 
on rare in the afternoon, um, you know, uh, with hockey central at noon. So why do you think, why do you specifically think there's this lack of female presence on the radio side or, or, or more broadly in the media side of things in Canada and hockey in, in sports? Uh, I'm not sure. I th- uh, the number that were, were actively going for those type of jobs, I, I was not aware of, to be quite honest with you. At no point um, did anybody come up to me and say, you know, how can I get on Hockey Central at noon? At the, you know, from, from um, you know, the last probably 10 years, 15 years, I've worked with many women in, in, at Sportsnet, um, from Christine Simpson to uh, Leah Hextall. She hosted a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I thought they were well-prepared. I thought they did uh, good jobs. Um, that, that, to me, is more of a, a question for, you know, the producers or where they felt the, the need was or how much of a demand there were or how much the male audience, that sort of stuff, understand the dynamics of women in those type of roles. We're seeing it more than ever now. But I don't know why the producers or executives uh, don't want to go down that path. You know, maybe it's starting now, uh, but back then, they're, they're, at least it wasn't brought up to me that said, you know, Nick, I, I want this job. Help me get it. It just, it just didn't happen. He is Nick Kiprios. You can see him and hear him in lots of different ways these days. His book is called Undrafted Hockey Family and What It Takes to Be a Pro. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a, a really good read. It's a really, it's told well. Your partner in crime, Perry Lefko, does a really good job helping, I would assume. You articulate some of these stories. Uh, you can hear your voice throughout it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good read. Uh, he's got a podcast, which you can, you can watch, watch and listen or just listen. Is it both? Do audio and video? I don't remember. Uh, it, it, it's it's both. It's real kipper at noon, and I was lucky enough that I partnered with. Uh, I know you mentioned your sponsor, uh, online online ga- uh, gaming, uh, sports betting. Gary Bettman really uh, going down now that path, something that he didn't envision, I'm sure, five years ago. But uh, I partnered up. They wanted to create a hockey central at noon with Doug McLean and I, and we've been able to do that. It's linemovement.com is uh is uh the website uh where I, I do a lot of the content on it as well so it's been a lot of fun uh and and looking for that to resume on a daily basis it's also past spotify as well so uh yeah we should be back doing daily shows again hopefully as early as when the season starts. as far as my book goes uh, Jonas, I've got to give a lot of credit, and Perry's got to give a lot of credit to my wife, too. I married a, a girl who graduated with a, a journalism degree out of uh, University of Florida, and, and she helped me and Perry really find my voice as well in the book. And she's also the CEO of Little Buddha Cocktail Company, so we've been, we've been busy pitching uh, uh, cocktail drinks and books and, uh, and hopefully uh, a few more good projects uh, down the road as well.
You still chipping in around the family restaurant or is there, is the family restaurant still around? Uh, no, no, we're all retired from that. Uh, but uh, we, we still uh, keep an eye on Peter's uh, steakhouse in Markham uh, for good reason. Uh, it's near and dear to our heart. Well, with, with no shot intended at, at your podcast, you should be back on the airs uh, more readily available. I, I, I do fundamentally believe that uh, you're a good guy. You have a good story to tell. And I think your, your takes are relevant in today's world. I think you, you bring a perspective that's unique and I hope to hear and see you and Doug, because you are fricking frack, if you will. Uh, <laughs> well, you, play, you play well off each other, and I, I personally miss it myself. It's 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 been a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun, Jonas, as well. And you've watched the whole dynamic between TSN and Sportsnet, and I loved to hate TSN, you know, uh, during my career. And I talk a lot about it and the challenges of being a station that nobody thought would last three years to go toe-to-toe -to -toe to with them uh, during those trade deadlines and free agent shows. And I had a lot of TSN, I can tell you that. I hope, I, hope I, I articulated it well in the book. <laughs> well, you're competitive, uh, but I bet you continually check and recheck your tweets all the time now. On occasion, for sure, you know, <laughs> as we try to build uh, real, real Kipper at noon, uh, it's a new challenge, but it's the same challenge I had in 1998 when nobody gave me a chance. So if I could, if I did it then, I'm hoping I can do it again for uh, real Kipper at noon. Well, we're happy to have you, Nick. Please stay well, stay safe and healthy, and uh, we'll have you on when the season starts again. Jonas, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.